Well, we got all the uh, older kiddos with us in here this morning, so we're not releasing them out to Vine Kids time. We have a what we like to call a shortage of volunteers, and so um, so you get your own kids today, which reminds us we're probably going to want to volunteer. That's going to be every Sunday for the foreseeable future. So no, we. Uh, we're going to be challenging everybody, as I mentioned in our announcements, in the coming weeks, you're going to hear us talk about an every member in the word challenge, where we have this desire to get every member, and that means all of us, right? Not member in terms of the technical sense, but member of the church, to get involved in the word of God, to read the word together. We're also going to be challenging to get involved with the church, to find places to serve and plug in, to kind of re-up your desire to love and serve this body. You'll be hearing us talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks. But for that time being just now, we're going to be a little bit shorter this morning because we have everybody here, but it is a really fun Sunday. I actually really enjoy this Sunday. It's the last Sunday of 2023, the last Sunday of the year. And, and there's something spectacular about beginning new things, right? Like there just is something really great in the heart about starting new. So the dawn of a new year, 2024 coming up, is a really great way to sort of let your heart just kind of go, you know what, 2023 is behind us, whether it was good or bad, I have no really idea how that was for, for your family or for you personally, but with the beginning of something new, there is always the chance that we can make some things different that we're not pleased with right now. And that's where this idea of New Year's resolutions really comes from. It comes from the idea that I want to do a few things that hopefully will have an impact on the whole of my life. If I make a few changes here or there, then I can do some things that will kind of impact the whole for the better. And so at the beginning of the new year, I don't know if you do, but a lot of people make resolutions. And I was thinking through kind of just some things I wanted to be different or do different in 2024. And I kind of read this article about what the New Year's resolutions were for 2023. So what people's were last year, starting at this time, what they want to do. And none of them would really surprise you. Like the top four were like, I want to have better mental health, right? Number two was, I want to lose weight. Number three was, I want to get in shape, which may be going with number two there, but same concept. And number four was, I want to save money. So I think if all of us kind of looked at those things and said, man, if, if, if I could tackle those things or if I accomplished those in 2023 or if I could do those in 2024, that would be a really great year, right? I, I, wanted, I don't, I don't want to be so depressed. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer anymore, right? I don't want to be fatty. I just want to change that. I want to go for a jog every now and then, and I really want to save some dollars. Like, that would be great. Here's the reality. Of all the people that set those resolutions, 7% kept them. 7%. So here we are, 93% of us, still bummed out, pretty fat, won't jog, and broke as a bucket truck, right? Like, that is just... The reality. So the idea is, I don't want to just like rain on your 2024 parade, but the idea is that we're going to have to get a little sharper on our follow through and on our discipline if we're going to make some of these things happen, right? Because for the most of us, most of us think about this idea that I, I just could change this one thing, it will have this great impact on the whole. And the reality is, is that these things take discipline, they take time, but it is a great way to think about things. Like I do want to start New. And it got me thinking about kind of the message of the gospel in the whole and the role of the church and all those kind of things. And I, I began to realize that, and I've known this forever, and I know that all of you have as well, that the, the gospel message is so incredibly timeless. Like, it has not changed a breath or a moment or a wink in 2,000 plus years. In fact, with the redemptive movement of all of history, God's message 
has been the same. In fact, the Bible declares that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing ever changes in the gospel, yet we are constantly longing to make changes to our life to improve things, to make them better, to get a sharper version of myself, to get more well-read, to be in better health, whatever it is. But the gospel itself is so perfectly timeless that it needs no changing. And that we are called not to alter the gospel to our lives, but instead to alter our lives around the gospel. So the movement of change is important. It's the pillar of this gospel message that should never move for the church or for you personally. And so this morning we're going to look at that message. We're going to look at what the timeless message of the gospel is, what it calls you to, what it calls me to, and what it calls us to as a church as a way of closing out 2023 and, and aiming for 2024, saying how do we pivot our lives around the message that we've been given and not trying to alter the message to fit around our lives. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. And I've got a lot of ones that I love but this section is my absolute favorite. And we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 16 through 20 this morning as we talk about this thing that's been given to us that we are therefore called to give to the world. So if you've got it, go ahead and open it up. We'll pray together, and then we're going to read it and just work through it this morning, talking about what that looks like to embrace a timeless message, the timeless truth of the gospel. But let's pray together. Lord, what an incredible privilege to gather as the church. I know we take it for granted all the time in our Western culture, church is a habit, but we do recognize that around the world, this is not a privilege that most believers get. Uh, they don't get the privilege of gathering with other believers, or they may not have the freedom to do so, or may not just have access to churches or to even Bibles. Lord, we are very me-focused when it comes to our understanding of the kind of church as a whole, and I want to just be reminded this morning, Lord, that this is a great joy to gather here, and we don't take it for granted. We are grateful that we get to sit next to people that love us and care about our spiritual growth and worship alongside us, and that this message that we hear this morning that we all know by heart is both for me and for you and for our neighbor, it's for all of us. And it's a timeless truth, and it doesn't change. And culture will try and change it. It will try and move the goalpost on us. It will try and tell us that these things should be movable to fit the narrative. But the truth is the gospel message is timelessly rigorous. It is flawless and faultless. It is steadfast and true. It has not changed from the moment that Paul breathed this out to the Corinthians to the moment I breathe it out today. And so, Lord, let's make this end of this year, anchored to this truth, and a launching place as we begin something brand new. Take a moment in your own heart this morning, just as you sit here, and just ask the Lord to teach you. However simple that must be, just or what needs to be, or just, God, teach my heart, remind me of a few things, refresh my soul, like just whisper something along those lines to the Lord. God, I just, I just need you to teach me. And take a moment and pray for someone around you, beside you, front, back. If you're here for the first time, this is something we do every Sunday. We, we want to be in the habit of praying for other people. We want to care about the spiritual growth of the people that we worship with, people in our community. So just pray for them. Pray that God will move in them, teach them, that if they're struggling, he would comfort them. Just pray for the people around you this morning.
Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you, every breath, every song. Lord, it's all yours. We don't invite you in this place, Lord. We know that you are here. There is nowhere that we go that we can escape your presence. You are in the very air that we breathe. And so, Lord, we just release our hearts to you, our King, our Redeemer, God. We ask you to teach us and empower us and lead us. Lord, anchor our hearts to this timeless truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're picking up in 2 Corinthians chapter 16, which is right in the middle of a thought that Paul has, which I don't love to do because I love to look at Scripture in its full context. But in order to do that, we have to explore the entirety of chapter 5 and 6, and we just don't have the time this morning. We're picking up in this, this sort of thought that Paul is having about how the love of Jesus compels us to live differently. Like, literally the way that he loved us through his death and resurrection has compelled the church to be wholly different, all right? So we're going to pick up on that train of thought in verse 16, and we're going to talk about how this love that compels us to be different compels us to see the world differently, including ourselves, and we've actually been given something by God that we can't ignore. So let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 16, and we'll go down through 20 this morning. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though he were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Hopefully it's not a uh, foreign passage. I've taught on it before. It is one of my favorites. I return to it all the time because it is a timeless picture of the gospel. But there's a few things in there that we want to anchor ourselves to. And the first is this idea that kind of revolve around the death of Jesus. And the first is this idea that the death of Jesus really does change everything. So it changes the way that we see the world and the way that we see the people. In fact, if we skip back a few verses, we'll see that the death of Christ, the way that he demonstrated his love for us to the cross, changes the way that we even understand the definition of love. And he says that it compels us to see the world differently, that we once saw the world and people through a worldly point of view. In fact, we once saw Christ through a worldly point of view. That was how we were pre-Christ. We saw everything through a worldly set of eyes. But the death of Jesus changes all that. That when we understand that Jesus, fully God, walked on this earth, died sinless, and was raised from the dead, it changes the way that we think about love, and it changes the way that we see people. Because we no longer regard them from our old way of thinking. We see them through the eyes and the vision of Christ. The death of Jesus for the believer changes the way that we see the world. We no longer see the world through a worldly point of view, right? Because from a worldly standpoint, the cross makes no sense. But from the believer's standpoint, it changes everything. It changes our perspective on everything from love to how we see and treat people. The idea of not judging, the idea that are so, these ideas that are so countercultural in terms of how we think about resources, how we think about sexuality and marriage and purity, the things that we've talked about all through the book of Ephesians this past year. The death of Christ and the cross changes all of those things. Paul goes on to say, not only does it change how we see them, how we see and understand love, but it changes you personally. He says that when you surrender your life to Jesus, you are made new, right? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Verse 21, meaning that the death of Jesus doesn't just change our outlook, but it changes us fully from the inside out. 
So the beginning movement of this timeless message is an understanding that the death of Jesus truly changes everything. That you are no longer who you once were. You are no longer the person that made all of those mistakes, the person that is driven by this or thinks that way or has been affected by this. You are completely and totally, absolutely, 100% new. The fancy theological word for that is the idea of regenerated. It means you have been made fully new. You have been reborn. It's not like there's a remnant of your old self left. Everything about it, when you surrender your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is regenerated, is made fully new through the Holy Spirit. What that means is that the death of Jesus changes everything. We can't be reborn and continue to see the world through our worldly eyes. We can't be reborn and continue to see our financial world through our worldly eyes. We can't be reborn and continue to see people with the same contempt we did before we knew Jesus. The death of Jesus changes everything, right? So that first piece of this message is this idea of the incredible changes that take place in the believer, right? How we see the world, not only that, but how we see ourselves because all things are new in Christ, so he goes on to say this, like if the death of Jesus changes everything, the death of Jesus does this by reconciling us to God. So listen to that. So he goes on to say in verse 21, right, All, everyone is new, we've been made new creations. But in verse, I'm sorry, verse 17, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So I've mentioned this before, but the definition of reconciliation that I love the most is this idea of bringing back to harmony with. So the idea of reconciliation is that God brought us back to harmony with him. He reconciled us. What that means is that we were in disharmony with God. So humanity is sinful and broken and fully dead, right? This is not a new message. Everything that you've probably ever heard Brandon and I preach from this stage just centers around the understanding that we are utterly and totally sinful and enemies of God. It's not our message. It's actually purely biblical. So we are in that death place, that place of sin and and separation. We are in broken harmony with God. It means that our hearts and our lives don't move in the same way, in the same direction, in the same capacity the heart of God does. We are in opposite directions. We are in broken harmony. We are offbeat off kilter, whatever the word is that you want to use, we are not in sync. God is holy and righteous. The way that he sees the world, the way that he sees you, the way that he moves is on a different trajectory than the way that you move without Christ. It's why the divide between the world and the holiness of God will never be breached by the world just kind of getting its act together. The disharmony is permanent because it's fueled by something that never will go away, which is sin. And we are in full disharmony with God without Christ, right? That's the pure truth of the gospel. But what we see Paul tell us and tell the Corinthian church is that that because the death of Jesus changes everything, it changes who we are because it makes us new and reconciles us to God. means it brings us back to harmony with God. The pure beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it takes what could not be aligned at all and aligns them in perfect fusion the way they were created to be because it eliminates the sin and the penalty of that sin. So that when we are made new, 
in verse 17, what Paul is saying is that it's not just like you got a new outlook and a new attitude. You have been made so fully new that your heart has been realigned in harmony with your maker. It means that God isn't just interested in saving you. He's interested in you knowing who he fully is. You are given the mind of Christ. You are given the heartbeat of God. The things that matter to God begin to matter to you. If the end goal of the gospel was just to get you saved, to prevent you from going to hell, that would be one thing. But actually the end goal of the gospel is harmony with with your creator. God is interested in the full movement of what it means to reconcile your heart and my heart back in harmony with his, which means that his whole goal is not for you just to be moral. The goal of the gospel is that you would know the heartbeat of God. And God does that by taking your sin, right, destroying it, conquering it on the cross, reconciling you to him. This is what God did. You couldn't do it. You cannot do the reconciling. God has to do it. In fact, Paul's very clear about that, that God reconciled you to himself. What that means is that no matter how many New Year's resolutions you make about reading the Bible and showing to church, showing up to church, you are getting no closer to God on your own, right? Going to church has about as much to do with being saved as riding a bicycle. You can do a whole lot of things, but it's not going to get you anywhere because God has to be doing the reconciling, which means that we do the surrendering. We say, okay, I know that I can't clean my life up enough. I can't get rid of the things I'm ashamed of enough, the sin that keeps creeping in. I can't fix all these things by just doing more moral things. I have to surrender my life fully to the Lordship of Christ. And at that point in time, I receive what has been given fully to me in the gospel. And God reconciles us to himself. And it is from him. So the death of Jesus changes everything. The death of Jesus reconciles us to God. But here's where it gets really interesting, right? Those are all things that we know, nothing new. But here's where it gets really interesting. For the believer, right, that's had their life changed by the death of Christ, by the resurrection of Jesus, by the believer that has been reconciled and brought back to harmony with God, he has now given us the ministry of the reconciliation. The death of Jesus calls us to a ministry of reconciliation. So listen to those verses, right? <clears throat> so God, who has reconciled the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So here's the reality. As someone that's been made new, been regenerated, been restored, been brought back to harmony with, the death of Jesus calls us to a ministry of reconciliation which means you have a ministry, which in short means you're a minister, which can start the terrifying word, thought process in your heart now, right? But there's a couple of great perks that go along with being a minister. I'll tell you about it, right? There's some really good ones. Um, first of all, you get to use words like brimstone and narthex. Those are pretty cool. When you go to Thanksgiving, you're the only one that gets to pray because apparently you've got the direct line of the man upstairs, and so everybody defers to you all the time. Another great perk is that when you meet total strangers, they'll tell you uh, that that's a really cool thing you do and they wish they did something that gave back. That happens a lot. Or they'll tell you why they haven't been to church in a long time, as if you care. Um, but they're like, oh, really? You're, you're a minister? That's great. You know, life's been really busy for us. We've been meaning to get back to church as if I'm supposed to then say, hey, God, they were trying to get back. I mean, you can cut them a break there. You're also going to get apologized to all the time when people say words like poop or crap. Oh, 
Didn't mean to swear. As if you've never heard the word poop or crap. There's a lot of great perks with being a minister, and you're going to get them now because that's really what you are. You know, there's actually no theological role or any biblical role in Scripture for the idea of a ministry. It's actually every single person's role. The church is made up of every member a minister. Like, that is, that is the actual call of the church. There are specific roles, but minister is not one of them. There are teachers and other things like that that are laid up, but minister is not one. It's not like Brandon and I have the sole corner market on being able to minister. In fact, Paul tells you here that you have a ministry of reconciliation, which means you are a minister. Like it or not, that's who you are. You've been regenerated into this ministry. And he goes one step further by saying, not just are you a minister, but you are also actually an ambassador, which takes this idea of ministry even one step farther. A minister on some level can just say, hey, I've got this thing that I need to share. An ambassador says, I represent, and I am actually speaking for and on behalf of the nation that I go before, right? So an ambassador's role is that when they go to a foreign country, they are the emissary. They are the one that speaks on behalf of whatever country they're coming from. That when you speak to the ambassador, you can assume you're speaking to and for the country. So when Paul says that you are an ambassador of Christ, what he's basically saying is that a redeemed person that has been made new, that has had their life brought back into harmony with God, you are the very representation of Christ to the entire world. And not just a reflection, but you are Christ fully alive in you on demonstration for the world. And that your message, your proclamation, your role as minister is as the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ himself. Now, most of us don't take our call that seriously. We see that the call for the people in the church that get paid or those that have been to school or some other silly kind of title that we give people that lead church. The reality is, and Brandon and I will tell you this honestly, we have not one different special skill set than you do. The only special skill set that we have is time. We've been doing this for years and years and years. But that's it. We don't have a special skill set. We have a calling to vocationally do this. The reality is your calling is to do this in the same manner. Maybe not in terms of your vocation, what you do for a living. But that doesn't mean that this isn't your full-on calling. Brian and I say all the time, we literally have no great skill set. In fact, the two of us put together make one average pastor, like fuse together. We're equal to one normal man, right? All of us are ministers of the gospel. That's what makes this church and the church, Big C, actually work, is that it is not the voice of two people that are telling everybody else what the gospel says. The gospel is for you. Christ tells you directly. There is no middle person between us and holy God. That's one of the fundamental flaws with modern-day Catholicism. There's not a middle person that makes a groundbreaking movement between you and the Almighty. You are God's ambassador. You are his minister. You have full access to holy, mighty God through the person of Jesus Christ. The truth is you do not need Brandon or myself for anything. In fact, if we weren't here, the church should still go on. You have been given this ministry 
of reconciliation. You are a minister and you are an ambassador. And he says that you have been given a message. And that message is the message of reconciliation. Meaning you have been reconciled. You've been brought back to harmony with God. You are therefore God's ambassador and his minister. And he has given you that same message to tell the world. It means that God has taken the redeemed to go and tell the world what it means to be redeemed. The message that you have is to tell the world that they're in broken harmony with God and that he desires their hearts to beat in harmony with his. And you know what that message is? It's really simple. He says it right here, right at the very end there. We make this appeal through us, right? We implore you on Christ's behalf. Here's the message. Be reconciled to God. So the entire message that you have as a minister of the gospel, the entire message that you have as an ambassador of Jesus Christ is this. Be reconciled to God. It's passive. The idea of being reconciled isn't going out and doing something. The idea of being reconciled is the idea of just simply surrendering to what God has fully done through the death and resurrection of Christ that is waiting out there for the world to just surrender to. So your job is not to go out there and tell people how they need to change their life morally in order to access this great thing that God has given them. Your job is just to proclaim the message of reconciliation, which is this. You are fully dead. There is nothing that you can do about it. Yet God, in his infinite, incredible love, sent his son to die on the cross so that he could bridge the gap between our sinfulness and God's humanity. He literally exchanges, we'll see this in the next verse if we were to keep going, he exchanges his righteousness for our sinfulness. And all that you have to do is receive it. That is the extent of the work of you as a human, is to receive what has been given through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Be reconciled. Most of us don't like this because we want to do something. We want to work towards something. We want to earn towards something. But that's not the message of the gospel. You can't do it. There is no working or earning that will get you anywhere. The idea is to be reconciled. So even for those of us here that are looking for changes in 2024, this passive idea of I want my heart to be reconciled. God, I want to quit fighting him, swimming upstream, trying to establish my own ways and my own path. I want to simply rest in the glory of the Almighty and say, God, I want my heart to beat in harmony with yours. How do you see my world, my life, my marriage, my finances, my friends, my work life? I want whatever I do to be reflected in the roles that I have. I am a minister and I am an ambassador. But it begins by me understanding my own reconciliation. Which means this morning, if you're looking to do something to jumpstart your spiritual life in 2024, there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible more, praying more, going to church. There's nothing wrong with those. But if that's the means by which we're trying to do it, we will fail. 92% of us won't make it. 93% of us won't make it very far. The idea that begins in 2024 is that I want to passively receive what Christ has already done for me. He's forgiven me. He's redeemed me. He's reconciled me. So I need to release all of these things that I cloud my life with all the ways I try and perform for God, all the ways I try and wiggle my way into my own control situation, the ways I try and force my own agenda, all these things, I just need to lay those down. I need to say, Lord, this year, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm just going to allow you to reorient my heart. You reconciled me to you. I want my heart to beat in harmony with yours, which means I want to see the world the way that you see it. 
I need to see my wife or my husband or my children through your eyes. I need to see my financial life not through panic and fear, but through your promise of provision. I want to see the people that I'm struggling with, the ones that I'm having a hard time forgiving. I want to see them through your eyes because the love of Christ compels us to no longer see people in a worldly point of view. I want to live in to my reconciliation. This becomes the biggest part in the heart of a believer is laying down our agenda to do and embracing the agenda to be. The doing is always important. It can come later, but the surrendering of self is the first and greatest point. Don't forget this year, as you step out into this new year, that you actually have a role, not just in this church, but as part of the church. You're a minister. You're an ambassador. Everywhere you go, you're a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world, like it or not. The moment you gave your life to Jesus and were redeemed, it changed everything. It's not an option. Paul's not giving a bunch of suggestions to the church saying, hey, some of you guys, this is what you're going to do. He's saying, no, this is the role of every person that has been redeemed by Jesus Christ. This church is made up of every single member of minister. It means that your role is to tell the world and the people around you about the love of Jesus, that they are been rescued and redeemed, and they need and can receive this gift of eternal life and abundant life here on earth. That's the message of reconciliation. Finally, kind of a way of wrapping all this up, whatever you do in 2024, work for that reconciliation message. Reproduce it in your own life. Reproduce it around you. Fight to see things brought back to harmony with God. If you've got broken relationships, I implore you to seek to mend them the best you can. Not all relationships are mendable, I'll be honest. But you can do what's on your end. You can forgive. You can release resentment and anger. You cannot control someone else's response. But you can work towards a reconciliation from your heart on. You can fight oppression when you see it. When you see the marginalized and the oppressed around you, you can stop and pause and fight and speak for the voiceless. You can fight the sort of racial separation, the political separation, the cultural separation that plagues our divided world. You can be an ambassador of bringing back to harmony with. So whatever agendas and goals you set for 2024, make sure they're not all just about you. It's really easy to set a list of New Year's resolutions that say, make me better. But as a minister and as an ambassador, How do we take a message into the world that makes the world or changes the world for the better? That is the timeless truth of the gospel. It's a timeless message. It's never changed. It's been the same breath that came from Paul 22,000-something years ago. It's the same today. And if I stand up here and I get another year to do this, it will be the exact same message in 2024 heading into 2025. Be reconciled to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you just for the the moments that we get to gather, Lord, these short times that we just get to spend together as church and as community. We recognize, Lord, that life is hard. That's an understatement. For a lot of us, 2023 was hard. 2022 was hard. 2021 was hard. We want to begin again. We want newness. We want fresh starts. 
But with every fresh start is the reality that there's things ahead of us that are going to be hard. It's just truth. Nobody knows what's coming in this coming year. And if we learn anything over the past three or four years, it's everything can change in the blink of an eye. The reality is, Lord, is that all we have is to anchor ourselves fully to the hope that is in Christ. That we are once alienated in our sin, separated fully, enemies of God. But God, through his extravagant, incredible, redeeming love, rescued us through the person of Jesus Christ. And the death of Jesus changes everything. And he's brought us back to harmony with yourself, Lord. Our divisive, wayward self. You, not us, have done the work. You have drawn us back into relationship with you when we surrender our hearts to Jesus. And then you have given us that ministry of reconciliation. You haven't given it to me, or Brandon, or other pastors around the city. You've given it to every single believer who has had their heart redeemed and regenerated by the gospel. This is our message. It's our ministry. We're ambassadors. That when we see the things around the world that are in broken harmony with God, Lord, we should be proclaiming at the top of our lungs a desire to see those redeemed. Relationships, brokenness, poverty, slavery, sex trafficking, all those things that are breaking and are at opposite ends of the heartbeat of God should be at the movement of reconciliation of the church. Lord, make us ministers. Let us step into that role in a powerful and true way. Whatever comes in 2024, Lord, help us make sure it's not just about us. This is your church. You are the head of this place, both this figurative particular church and the church with the big C. We surrender to you as our Lord and as our Savior. It's a timeless truth. Let's stand together and close our time in worship this morning. have seen salvation from the Lord prepared for all revealed for me to see what once was hidden no longer mystery light has come the glory of our King my eyes have seen the power He's come for you and me. Victory is here, the glory of our King. Good news, great joy, everything is new. Hey, Joe!
challenge is we walk out of this place wrapping up an, an old year and starting in a new one is to embark on the things that truly matter, that your heart has been reconciled to the heartbeat of God. So set your priorities on making sure that this year, this coming year, whatever it is, whatever you're going to achieve or do or pursue is lined up and beats in harmony with the things that matter to God. But go from this place with that timeless truth as your anchor and as your wind. Go in peace.